think we all would agree that there is um, there's something about a name. There's an importance to it. I can remember um, my grandfather always taught me and always told me that, son, the, the one thing you'll always have in this world is your name. He taught me how important our name was and why it was important that we made sure. And he always told me, especially in high school when I'd leave the house, don't put my name to shame. And um, he needed to tell me that for obvious reasons, but um, my full name is Jack Ryan Whitley. Now, I go by Ryan, and when I was a youth pastor, I had some teenagers find out that my first name was Jack, and they all came up to me just horrified. They're like, you have been lying to us. And Brandon Pride actually found out, I guess a couple years ago, that my first name was Jack, and he came up and told me, he goes, you sit on a throne of lies, okay? Um, so, but I was named after my grandfather. My grandfather's name was Otis Jack Whitley, and my mother named me after my grandfather, uh, Jack, but she wanted to call me Ryan, so hence Jack Ryan. And my grandmother, when she'd get real mad, would get real Southern, be like, Jack Ryan? So, you know, it was like I had the full name going on. Um, I'd like to think it was because, you know, they just knew I would be like this super spy or something, you know, like the Tom Clancy novels, but I'm far from that. But I was named after my grandfather. So with that being said, it was very important to him that I understood the value of, of my name. And he always makes sure, he goes, I want to make sure people, when they hear your name, son, that they, they hear loyalty, they hear honesty, they hear a hard worker, they hear integrity. That's what I want to come to their minds. And we get that because we put a lot of emphasis in how we name our kids, don't we? Think about to how you would go about and thinking of names for your kids. You know, maybe you did, but most of us just didn't close our eyes and just point to a name and be like, ah, that's going to be it, right? Most of us, we had some sort of an emphasis, some sort of a mindset when we came about to name our children because we understand the naming is important. My, my oldest son, Micah, is named after me, Micah Ryan. My youngest son, Braden, is named after my grandfather, Braden Jack. So there's this idea that we understand there's an importance to a name. We get that. We understand that. And in Isaiah 9, 9 6, we are given several names of Jesus, okay? We are given several names of Jesus. We looked at this verse last week. We're going to look at it again. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And then it goes off and lists us what he will be called. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So what I want to do today is look at these four different names. The Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to look at these names and then figure out what they actually mean to us. Okay, what these names can mean to us during a holiday season. Number one, if you have your bulletin, your outline is in there as well as these verses. If not, everything will be up here on the screens for you. But number one, he is the wonderful counselor. It tells us he is a wonderful counselor. So let's, let's talk about this name. By pure definition, wonderful means extraordinary, marvelous, beyond one's power. Counselor means to advise or to give counsel to purpose or to plan. We understand life is filled with a lot of decisions, a lot of details, and for some of us, disaster. And we kind of need help navigating through those things. Okay, we need help navigating through just our normal everyday life. That's why many of us, when we found out we were going to be parents, we sought out advice. Maybe we talked to our parents. Okay, I can remember the first time 
that I had to really discipline my kids. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. Right? I've never had to do this before. So I sought out advice. Some of us read self-help books. Some of us go to social media. Some of us will talk to friends. Some of us will talk to a family member. Some of us may talk to a pastor. But we go out and we seek out advice for the different things that happen to us in our life. Okay, if we're having financial issues, we'll seek out advice or help for someone who's financial savvy. If we're having issues in our parenting, we're going to seek out somebody that we look up to in that regard. If we're having issues in our marriage, hopefully we're going to seek advice on how to fix those things. So we understand this idea of seeking advice, and we seek advice in a lot of different ways. But for many of us, the last place we turn to is the wonderful counselor. For many of us in our, in our day-to-day life, the details and the grind of day-to-day life and the things that come up, for many of us, the last person we seek advice in is Jesus. But he's called the Wonderful Counselor. In the Old Testament, there's a book um, right about in the middle. It's the book of Job. If you know anything about Job's story, Job went through a lot of disaster is just the best way to put it. He went through a lot of stuff. He lost all of his financial possessions. He lost his children. At one point, his wife just looked at him and said, it would be better if you would just curse God and die. Okay, now that's advice from a wife, right? Now, your life had to be pretty bad if your wife just says, listen, honey, it would just be best if you would just die. That's terrible. Well, that's where Job was at, right? That was everything that's happening in Job's life. But listen to what Job says in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. So Job says, In the midst of all that I'm going through, I understand, I may not understand any of it. But I know there's one person who wisdom and power belongs to. And understanding is his counsel is his. So the name Wonderful Counselor tells us this. He knows our situation. The idea that he's a Wonderful Counselor means he knows our situation. He knows what's going on in our life. Nothing has taken him by surprise. Not only does he know our situation, he knows how to help us through that situation. He knows how to guide us through it. Now this is hard for us to grasp because for most of us, we only see what is right in front of us, right? For most of us, we only see what is right in front of us and what is going on in our current situation. Okay, we, most of us lack the ability to see forward. Most of us just, we're looking at what is currently in front of us, our current situation. And we look at that and we're looking at our circumstances and we just feel helpless and we feel alone. I remember when the first time I saw Braden have a seizure. The very first time I saw him have a seizure, I felt completely helpless. I'm looking at my son and there's nothing I can do. And I'm, I'm nervous, I'm scared. I'm calling Beck and I'm like, Becca's there. I said, we, we've got to get him to the hospital. I mean, all these things. But all I knew in that particular moment, there was nothing I could do. I felt so helpless. But as I've walked this journey with my son, I've been reminded that we're told that even though our situation isn't good, that God is always good. And even though our situation doesn't make sense, God always makes sense. And even though there's something going on in our life that we can't see past, 
Okay, because all we see is our current situation, our current circumstance. God sees past it and he sees a way through it and he sees a way out of it. That's why he's a wonderful counselor. And because of that, Scripture tells us we can rejoice. Now, let me explain something. This idea of rejoicing in our trials or rejoicing in our hardships isn't this idea of like a cheesy rejoicing. Okay? For example, when Braden, when I saw Braden have a seizure for the first time, I wasn't like, praise the Lord. This is good stuff. I'm okay with this. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't do that. Matter of fact, I haven't done that once in all the seizures Braden has had. That's not what rejoicing is talking about. Look at this verse. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Now it says, rejoice in the Lord always. So that means always. It means at all times. Even in the terriblest of times and in the best of times, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. But then it tells us why we can rejoice. Look at verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See, that's why we rejoice. We don't rejoice because our situation is great. Because sometimes our situation isn't great. We don't rejoice because everything is going right in our lives. Because sometimes not everything goes right in our lives. We rejoice because the Lord is near. That's why we rejoice. If you go on, we're going to look at this verse, these next two verses, 6 and 7. It's not up on your screens. We're going to look at those at Christmas Eve. But it talks about to, in all circumstances, pray. And then the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, we can rejoice because we have a wonderful counselor who understands exactly what we're going through. He knows our situation and he knows a way out of it. And we can rejoice no matter what the situation is because the Lord is near. That's what it's talking about when it says to rejoice. He knows our pain. He knows our needs. He knows our situation. He's the wonderful counselor. Number two, only is he a wonderful counselor, but he is the mighty God. The word mighty gives the idea of a brave warrior or a hero. There's this idea of power here. The idea of there's nothing too hard for God, nothing too difficult for him to overcome, no one beyond his reach. Both of my boys growing up loved superheroes, right? This idea, they loved the Avenger movies. Brayden still loves those. And it's this idea because why do we like those type of things? Because this idea, there's this hero, right? And we no matter how bad it looks, this hero somehow is going to come in and save the day, right? Somehow, no matter how bad it looks, this hero is going to come in and he's going to figure it all out. He's going to save the day. He's going to be that mighty warrior, Okay, that's what this idea of Jesus is. He's the mighty God. I love what it says in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27. It says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. And he asks a simple question. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, I know for me personally, there's a lot of stuff that is too hard for me. Now, Micah, when he was real young, he thought dad was Superman, right? Dad could do anything. And then as he's gotten older, he's realized, Dad's not even close to Superman, right? But God, he's a mighty God, and he says, is there anything too hard for me? So we have to come to a point where we realize that not only does God know our situation, but he can handle our situation. He can handle the situation that we're going through. Nothing is too hard for him. No problem is too big. No sin is too great. 
No, life is too shattered for God to handle. I heard a quote and it says this, Christ the King loves to step into a life of chaos and not only provide wonderful counsel, but also display his divine power by bringing order to the chaos. I love that. Because many times that's what our life feels like, right? It just feels like chaos. And it may not because you're just going through a bunch of junk. It may just because your life is just super busy. And many of us, we function at a level where we feel like our head is barely above water. Right? And we are just treading water. And our little legs are moving as fast as they can. And we just keep thinking, if I could just get to next week. All right, let me just get through this week. And if I can get to next week, and then next week happens, and we're like, okay, if I can just get to next week. Okay, at some point, everything's going to slow down. I don't know how many times I've looked at Becca and said, at some point, it'll slow down. But I've been saying that for a long, long time. Most of the time, our life feels like chaos. Whether it's because we're just going through a bunch of problems and a bunch of junk, or whether it's just because we're busy, or whether it's just because at the end of the day, life happens. See, I think many times as, as followers of Jesus, we believe this myth that if we just follow Jesus, it means everything in our life is just going to be perfect and we're not going to have any issues, we're not going to have any problems. But Jesus never promised that. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble. Okay? But then he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Or what he is saying is, listen, you're going to have problems. There's going to be times where your life is going to feel like chaos. There's going to be times where you barely feel like you have your head above water and you've got anchors on your feet and it's just dragging you down. You're going to feel that way. But when you feel that way, understand, don't be surprised by it, but understand that I am the wonderful counselor. I am the mighty God. I know your situation and I can handle your situation. You just have to trust me. I'll get you through it. It may not be the way you want to get through it. It may not be the path that you would have chosen, but I will get you through it. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37 says, For nothing is impossible with God. Jesus is all-powerful. He made the lame to walk, the blind to see. He fed the hungry, raised the dead. He specializes in doing the impossible. So the question I have for you today is what in your life has seemed impossible? What are you currently going through right now that seems impossible? That when you look at it through your eyes and through your lens, what seems impossible? Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's an issue between you and your spouse and it seems impossible. Maybe it's issues with your kids. They're not walking the way you wish they would walk. They're not following the way you wish they would follow. And it seems impossible. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis. And it just seems impossible. Maybe it's financial strain. And it just seems impossible. Maybe it's just life. And it just seems impossible. Luke chapter 1 tells us nothing is impossible with God. That means nothing. Now this doesn't mean he immediately fixes everything. 
And sometimes that's hard. My, one of my biggest prayers was, God, heal my son. Heal my son, heal my son, heal my son. To this day, God still hasn't healed my son. But that doesn't make this voice null and it doesn't make this verse null and void. Well, see what God has done with me when I read this verse and say nothing is impossible with God. Even though he may not have healed my son, he has taught my family a great deal about faith. And he's taught my family a great deal about trust. And he's taught my family that we have a huge support system around us. And he's walked with us through it. Why? Because you remember what Philippians said? We can rejoice because the Lord is near. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what situation you're dealing with, it seems impossible. Understand for nothing is impossible with God. He is a mighty God. He can handle our situation. Number three, he is the everlasting father. Most of you guys know my struggle or know my story and you understand that I struggle with this idea of an everlasting father. This has always been the hardest one. Of all four of these names, this is the hardest one for me to identify with. I can see Jesus as a wonderful counselor. I can see him as a mighty God. But it's very difficult for me to view him as an everlasting father. Because for a long time, the word father just purely had a negative meaning in my life. Most of you know my situation. I grew up without a dad. Never met my dad. So this idea of a father just carried a negative connotation for me and the relationship or lack of relationship with my earthly father severely affected my relationship with my heavenly father because growing up I never used the word dad or daddy or father I never used those words never said them I had no one to say those words to so it gave me just such a negative thing so when I hear this idea of everlasting father it was such a foreign concept to me some of you in here have had a great relationship with your dad. So this idea of everlasting father, man, it just, it just kind of rolls off your tongue. Some of you in here, maybe you're just like me and you've struggled with this. So this idea of everlasting father is a, somewhat of a foreign concept. But I remember when I had kids. I remember the first time each one of my kids said dad or daddy. Whew, that was the best thing in the world. I love that word now. I love it. I love it when my kids call me dad or daddy. My daughter, for whatever reason, now calls me father. Father? <laughs> Which just seems super weird, but either way, dad, daddy, father, however you want to look at it, I love it when my kids call me those names. Because when I hear that, to me, it brings this idea of an everlasting father to life. And when I became a dad, it was almost as if a light bulb clicked for me. And a verse made a lot more sense to me. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. It says, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. This word Abba literally translates dad or daddy. 
So it says the spirit we receive. So in other words, when we accept Christ as our Savior, what are you saying? We don't have to fear. We're no longer slaves to sin, but rather we've been adopted into God's family. Now for me, adoption is another word that really means a lot to me. Because my grandparents adopted me. See, and this idea of adoption means somebody chose me, right? It means somebody looked at all the kids that they could have chosen and said, I want you. To me, adoption is one of the greatest things in the world. Because it means my grandparents chose me. So think about that in regards to your situation with Jesus. And it says you received, the spirit you received had brought about your adoption to sonship. In other words, God said, I want you. I choose you. And it says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, or we can call him Dad. Because he's our everlasting Father. And because of that, we know that he loves us in spite of our situation. He loves us in spite of our situation. As a dad, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. There's no situation they could be in that would cause me to love them less. I remember Becca went on vacation with her mom and her sister a couple years back. And whenever Becca leaves for more than one or two days, every kid in my house gets sick. It doesn't matter. They, they could have been well for like six years, but as soon as Becca leaves the house, everybody's throwing up. It doesn't matter. So all my kids are just sick. They're all sick, and all of them have thrown up everywhere. And here's the thing. I didn't look at them and say, you're disgusting. What did I do? I cleaned up after them, right? Why? Because I'm their dad. And I loved them. Now on the flip side, we were living in Illinois at the time, and the youth pastor of the church that we're working at lived right next door to us. And I had to go get medicine for Braden. So I called him and said, hey, can you come and just sit with Braden while I go get medicine? He was like, sure, no problem. I said, he should be fine. It shouldn't be a big deal. I'm literally running right down the street, running back. He goes, yeah, man, no problem. So I go to Walgreens. I pick up his, his prescription. I bring it back, and I walk into the house, and Carlos is sitting on the couch, and he's holding my son out like this, and Brayden is just throwing up. And he's just holding him out like this, and it's almost like a water sprinkler, okay? And I walk in, I go, what are you doing? He's like, dude, it's not my kid, man. <laughs> I was like, you could have cleaned him up. He goes, nope. And he set Braden down and walked right out of the house, okay? Well, here's the thing. That's not his kid, right? He doesn't have the same love that I do for my children. Abby, when she was about two years old, we were decided we want to take all of our, we were living in New York, we want to take all the kids to Sesame Place, okay? Which is like, this big amusement park, and it's all Sesame Street. Worst idea ever. So we go and we take our kids to Sesame Place. We get a hotel in, in Philadelphia, I believe. And um, Becca's got Micah um, and Brayden, and I have Abby. We're all in one hotel room, and Abby just decides she doesn't want to sleep. Okay? She decides she doesn't want to sleep. All she wants to do is literally cry all night. And Becca, because of my wife, who she is, she's worried about, like, everybody else around us. And she's like, she's going to wake everybody up. The, I was like, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me, okay? I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm thinking about how can I stop my daughter from crying. And she was like, can you do something? I was like, well, I'll take her and I'll just drive around and see if that'll, that'll calm her down. So, put her in the car and we're driving around Philadelphia. We're driving and it's about 
midnight and we're driving and she falls asleep. Yes. So as soon as I turn the car off, what happens? She wakes up. She starts crying again. So I start driving again. This went on to about three or four o'clock in the morning. Finally, I get her and we get to the lobby and I step foot in the lobby and she wakes up again. And she starts crying again. And at this point, I'm seriously questioning whether or not we really need to have three kids. Is two just okay? And, but she's the only girl, so, she, you know, it's, it doesn't matter. She's the only girl. We got to keep her. So I sit down with her in the lobby, and she falls asleep on my chest. And we sleep for about an hour and a half until my family comes downstairs, and they're all ready to go to Sesame Place, right? Why did I do all that? Why did I go through all of that without yelling and screaming at my daughter? Because I love her. Because I'm her dad. He is our everlasting father. He loves us in spite of our situation. And let's be honest, our lives are messy. We're damaged. We're fragile. We break easy. If most people knew everything about us, they probably really wouldn't like us very well. But not Jesus. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us regardless. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, For God demonstrates his love for us, or God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were at the worst condition we could be, Christ died for us. So God says, I love you so much that I'm going to give you my son. And he's going to take your place. He accepts us the way we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us that way. Which brings us to the fourth name. Number four, he is the Prince of Peace. I think most of us say that our world today is the exact opposite of peace, right? If you just watch the news, read the news, get online, you'll see that our world is the exact opposite of peace. And I think the issue is we associate peace with the absence of war and the absence of trials. But that's not always necessarily the case. When he says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be peachy, if you will. See, the Prince of Peace came to bring peace between God and man. To satisfy the wrath of God, to take our place. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20 says this, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So what does this mean to us? The last fill-in in your notes, he wants to heal our situation. The Bible says that each and every one of us were sinners. Okay, and what this simply means is that we've all done something wrong. Okay, we've been, we're sinners by nature. Okay, it's, it's ingrained in us. As I said last week, if, if you don't believe that, just go and watch a room full of two-year-olds and watch the way they interact. Parents, none of you ever had to teach your children how to lie. None of you ever had to teach your children how to hit or how to scream. It was just ingrained in them, right? They just knew, okay? Scripture tells us we're sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by choice. We choose to do things that are wrong, okay? We choose to do things that we know we shouldn't do, 
And that's all of us. We've all lied. We've all probably stolen something, whether it was when we were a kid and we stole a piece of candy, whatever it is, we've all been there. So the Bible says we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. And the problem, the mess of our situation is this. Because of our sin, the Bible says we've become separated from God. Okay, it's almost as if God is over here and we're over here and there's this huge gulf between us. And on our own, we can't bridge that gap. Okay, we're never going to be able to be good enough to get to God. Scripture also says this. If we're to take all of our good deeds and stack them up before God, it would almost be as if they were filthy rags. Okay, we'll never be able to do anything good enough to bridge this gap. And a lot of us try. We try and we think, if, if I'm just a good person, if I, just, if I just do this, if I just do that, maybe... One day, my good will outweigh my bad when I stand before God. And if my good will outweigh my bad, then maybe I'll be okay. Scripture says it doesn't work that way. We're all, because of our sins, separated from God, which is terrible news. But the good news is what we find, go back to that verse, Artie, is what we find in Colossians. It says, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on a cross. See, because God loves us, he said, there's no way that you can bridge this gap on your own. There's no way you can pay the penalty of your sin. The Bible also tells us the penalty of our sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. There's no way we can pay this. So he says, I'm going to send my son to die on a cross for your sins. And he's going to make peace between me and you. His blood is going to make peace between us. So this cross then stands in the gap and allows us then, at that point, allows us access to God. And God did that in his love and in his wisdom. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So what we talked about, we're separated from God because of our sin. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So because of the cross, if we accept Christ as our Savior, when we stand before God, we stand before God clean and free of accusation. Without blemish. But many of us may think this. I've just done too much. Ryan, you don't, you don't get my situation. You don't get the things I've done. You don't get the things I've said. There's no way God would forgive somebody like me. There's no way... Ryan, there's no way God could really love me like that. Because some of the people closest to me don't really even love me. How could this God that I've never met really love me? Ryan, you don't understand my situation. And you're right. I don't understand your situation. I don't understand what you're going through. I don't understand what your life is like right now. But I do understand a couple things. That God loves you more than you could ever even imagine. 
that God is crazy about you. And that God wants a personal relationship with you. But the only way to have that is through the Prince of Peace. Because it's Jesus who made peace between us and God. But we've got to go through him. We're not going to get to God. We're not going to get peace with God because we do enough good things. Because none of us will ever do enough good things. We're not going to get peace with God just by coming to church. We only get peace with God through a relationship with Jesus. That's the whole point of the gospel. Jesus allows us to be at peace with God. And the amazing thing about that is we can have that now. We can have that peace with God right now. And that peace with God, that relationship with God, is what makes everything else make sense. See, without, a, without the peace of God, without a relationship with God, God as your wonderful counselor doesn't really make a lot of sense. God as the mighty God in your life doesn't really make a lot of sense. Him as your everlasting father definitely doesn't make any sense. But when you realize, say, okay, God, I'm going to step into this relationship with you through your son Jesus, all those other things really start to make some sense. And you start to feel God move in your life. And you start to see him doing things. And things you didn't quite understand before start to make a little bit more sense. That's why Philippians says that we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Have you ever been at a funeral and you've seen a family, although they're mourning and they're struggling, there's just a sense of peace with them? They're still hurting and they still mourn the loss of their loved one, but there's this peace where they just know, you know what? It's okay. The reason they have this peace is because of a relationship with Jesus. But on the flip side, have you been at a funeral where there is no peace? That's what the peace of God does. It comes into our life and literally <laughs> reconciles us to himself. So next steps. Which name of Jesus do you need the most this holiday season? What do you need the most? If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I can tell you this. The one you need the most is Prince of Peace. You need to be made with peace with God. But if you are a follower of Christ, which one do you need the most? Do you need his guidance? Do you need him to be the wonderful counselor? Are you facing an impossible situation? And you need him to be the mighty God in that particular situation that you're dealing with. Maybe you need him to be the everlasting father. Maybe you just simply need the love of a father. Which name of Jesus do you need the most this holiday season? Would you bow your heads with me?